One, Forever Alone, is an ongoing story-based podcast that is a work of fiction. It is created and narrated by J.A. LaRock. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are found. This podcast is sponsored and brought to you by ObsoleteGamer.com and the Mascot Studios Podcast Network. Chapter 21 The Night of Secrets When you are completely occupied with waking from a nightmare, it is easy to miss the potential meaning for having it in the first place. My Aunt Jackie believed that all dreams, nightmares included, had a meaning. When I asked her the meaning of my nightmares, she just looked at me, like how you would look at someone when you asked about a loved one who recently died. She never gave me an answer, and I never found the reason for my nightmares. One would still believe that once a nightmare ends, that you would have found your answer. But perhaps you are actually still trapped within the nightmare and don't even know it. Maybe the nightmare will never end until you have the answer. It would be cliche to say that my ride down North Avenue towards my house was like driving through hell or a place worse than hell. But the mixture of the dark smoke and the automatic headlights of vehicles that still had power made the area known as Old Town look like it was recently hit by a nuclear bomb. It was windy and cold. The debris from the numerous accidents and dropped items blew throughout the street. The fire from the park was much larger than I realized and was spreading towards my neighborhood. Several of the cars that had crashed into one another and were still running had also caught on fire. At the intersection of Clark and North Avenue, the pileup of cars had caught on fire, resulting in an explosion that had blown out all the windows of the North Shore Bank and the small restaurant across the street. The power blackout extended towards my neighborhood. With the street lights having gone dark and the thickening smoke, I had to drive extra slowly towards my building. As I pulled into the garage, I quickly parked and ran into the lobby. It felt as if I had not been there forever. The lobby was just as cold, if not colder, than outside. It was dark. Not even the emergency lights were functioning. I turned towards the stairs and realized there would be a long trip up to my floor. Hearing the stairwell door slam behind me reminded me of my fear of the dark as a child. It was almost funny. As I climbed the stairs using my flashlight, I could not help but think of the fact that while I was once terrified of the dark and being alone in it, I grew to love being in the dark and being alone. Now there I was, climbing the steps surrounded by darkness and completely alone. While I did not admit it at the time, I was afraid. Even stranger was the type of fear 
I had deep inside. As the child, when the lights were turned off, a youthful imagination can sculpt the shadows into terrifying images. In essence, I was scaring myself. To be afraid of that when all I wanted was to find someone was laughable and sad at the same time. I reached my floor and was completely exhausted, not just from the climb, but from the day. I had nothing real to go on, just echoes and secrets, lies, hallucinations, dreams and questions. As I turned a knob on the door, part of me still hoped that somehow I'd walk into my home and find my family there. I wished I would find Christine giving me the evil eye asking where I was, but what I walked into was darkness and silence, a far too familiar theme. I did not bother looking in the kitchen. I slowly dragged my body up the stairs towards my room. I stopped in front of my door and turned towards my mother's room. I felt like I was supposed to go inside, so that is what I did. I walked into her room and sat on the edge of her bed staring towards the door. There was something strange about sitting there. It was like a story someone once told you, and then you were living it. Then it came to me. I remembered. I closed my eyes and ran my hands across the bread. I could almost feel my mother's presence. That night I was concerned about myself. A trip I was supposed to go on. My mother was typing away on her laptop. I was trying to convince her to allow me to go on a trip with my friends. I was invited by... Well, what was important was my mother was giving me a hard time. She would just fire off answers without looking up from her laptop. It was infuriating. I could see it playing out for me. The duel between parent and child. It was one I was tired of losing. So then, that's it? I asked. I believe what I said was clear, Timothy. My mother's idea of clear was a yes or no answer followed up by her saying her answer was clear. It did not make the least bit of sense. Clear? Yes, a yes is clear. Was it a fear answer? No. And what was not fear about it? Working with school children, my mother was very good at getting people to answer their own questions. If you wanted to know why you were denied something, all you had to do was keep talking to her. She would keep asking you general questions mostly based on what you had asked her, and soon you would have your answer. What's not fair? How about the fact that I'm almost 20 years old and I still have to ask my mother for permission to go on a trip? Do you really think that's fair or even reasonable? When my mother wanted to make her point even clearer, she would remove her glasses and look you in the eye. It worked on the children she taught. And honestly, 
it usually worked on us as well. I never said you couldn't go, Timothy. What I said was that you will need to discuss it with your father. You know, if I lived on my own, this would not even be a discussion. I could not say why I had not moved out yet. Maybe it was because I had no job after the incident at Walgreens. Honestly, at that point, I did not have a definite future anymore. The phone rang, allowing me some time to come up with another counterpoint to her one-sentence answers. My mother leaned over, picking up the receiver, and smiled at me. <laughs> and exactly when will you be moving out? It was not the trip that I was fighting for. Truthfully, I do not remember what it was I was fighting for. What I do remember was the smile on her face quickly fading as the conversation continued. Yes, this is Martha Hayden, and this is... When I was 14, our family planned a trip to Canada. A few days before we were to leave, I came down with a bad flu. My father was ready to cancel the trip, but I begged him not to cancel it. In the end, he decided to fly with my sister to Canada, and a few days later, we would join him. I don't remember why, but we ended up having to take a train instead. What I did not realize was just how much my mother worked not only to plan for the trip, but to care for me as well. She stayed awake with me every night. And while a few days before we left, I was well rested. She was not. We had reached New York and were about to turn in for the night when my stomach began to hurt. I had had a specific pain in my stomach before. It was whenever I felt something was very wrong or something bad was about to happen. I looked at my mother. She was very pale and looked sick. I asked her if she was alright and she could barely answer me. But even so she forced out a smile and told me not to worry and to go to sleep. Something inside me told me not to go to sleep and to get help. I called for one of the attendants and I told them that my mother was sick. She looked so embarrassed as they asked her if she was alright. Though she denied feeling ill, they decided to stop the train at the next stop, which is in Buffalo, New York, and they called an ambulance. I looked at my mother on the way to the hospital. I kept wondering if I had done the right thing. My mother hated people worrying over her, and she hated going to the doctor and to be taken by ambulance and having all those people watching her from the train was unthinkable. Sitting in that waiting room alone while the hospital officials tried to contact my father was a terrible experience. The doctor came out and told me that my mother had a blood clot and that if I had not said something to the attendant, it was very possible she could have died. I just sat there Frozen, thinking about how close I came to just falling asleep. How close I came to losing my mother. Ever since then, 
whenever I felt that pain in my stomach. I had made sure never to ignore it. I understand. I understand. I'll... We'll be right there. The sound of my mother's voice and the pain in my stomach told me that something horrible had happened. The look in my mother's eyes, it's something I'll never forget. They stared blankly ahead. I could see that she was scared, but also thinking about what to do next. I opened my mouth, but I could not speak. I did not even know what was said, but I just knew it was... My mother leaned over to hang up the receiver, but her arm went limp. She dropped it to the floor. I jumped up from the bed and hung up the phone as my mother slowly sat up and just stared out her window. It felt like we sat there in silence forever. I finally felt the ability to speak return to me when she turned around and looked at me. I just knew whatever she was about to say would change our lives forever. Your father. There was an accident. He was taken to Northwestern Hospital. We, we need to go. I was in shock thinking about what happened to dad, what exactly they told her on the phone. Images of sitting in that waiting room came back to me. My mother stood up from the bed, then lost her balance. As I moved to catch her, she wrapped her arms around me and began crying. The pain that night was the worst I had ever felt, and it was just the beginning. I no longer wanted to be in her room. I stood and saw my mother's laptop bag sitting next to her nightstand. My thoughts went back to what Christine wrote in her email about my mother asking her to stay away from me. That and secrets that she was supposed to keep. My mom's laptop was out of power and there was no way to recharge it, but I decided to take it with me anyway. I tried to place it in its bag, but it would not go in all the way. I reached into the laptop bag and pulled out a small digital recorder. I shined my light on it and set it to play from the beginning. Though hearing my mother's voice on the phone recording earlier was painful, I still wanted to hear her voice again. I laid back on my mother's bed as I pressed play on the recorder and looked out the window towards Lakeshore Drive. Repent. Therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It was my mother reading from the Bible. I remember that after she stopped going to church, she began reading the Bible and studying it herself. She would record various passages from the Bible and play them back at night. After the verse, the phone rang. I could hear her talking, but it was too quiet to make out. 
Then suddenly it became clearer. No, I haven't told them yet. You don't understand. There's nothing else I can do. We have to sell. No, I told you, they won't pay because of... A knock at the door interrupted her mid-sentence. I rewound the tape, trying to make sense of what my mother was talking about. Mom, may I come in? It was Ashley's voice. I'll call you back, Jackie. Yes, Ashley, come in. She was talking to Aunt Jackie and talked about selling something. Jackie was a lawyer and helped us with any legal issues we had. She dealt with everything regarding the death of my father, including the family financials. Though it was agreed that we would not actively follow the trial of the man who killed him, she did keep my mother apprised of major events. There were many times I asked her for information, but it was always very general and vague. At that time, I thought the only thing the conversation could be about was money. Mom, I need to speak to you about Timothy. What is it? Is something wrong? Is he okay? My sister talking to my mother about me was not surprising, but to hear concern in her voice. If the secret was about money issues, then why would Ashley know about it and not me? Yes, no, I'm not sure. That's just it, Mom. Today he's okay, but if so, then that's just today. How long will he be okay? What if he has... He will be fine as long as we continue to help him, Ashley. It was just like the night before all this had begun, with my mother and my sister worrying about me. There was so much going on in my life that I paid less and less to what was going on at home. Whenever I asked questions, they would just give me a non-answer. So I stopped asking. If there was a problem money-wise, I most likely would have not known about it. Besides tuition, for which I received a partial scholarship, I did not spend much money. If there was a financial problem, they could have talked to me about it. But instead, they were having private talks about my well-being. Are we really helping him, Mom? It doesn't seem like we are. Ashley, you need to understand. You remember how he was before? How bad it got? God has helped Timothy, but we all must do our part as well. In the end, you should know all I want is what is best for you both. Even if that means... The tape went silent. The way they talked about me was just like what Christine wrote, how she described me. How can everyone look at me and see something so different from what I see in myself? Even with the issues I have and the many I discovered since this began, it still did not add up to the way they talked about me. 
I played the tape over and over, hoping to get something more out of it. To have something in your hands that could have given you an answer, but just created more questions. It angered me. I wanted to smash the recorder to pieces, but instead, I closed my eyes and took a deep breath, and I placed the recorder in the bag. I took the laptop bag into my room and threw it down at the foot of my bed. Normally being in my room, alone in the dark, would have brought me comfort. But that night, comfort was not what I felt. Outside my balcony, the fires continued to burn from Old Town through to Lincoln Park. All it would take to end everything would have been a step over the ledge. But for all I knew, it could have also taken me deeper into the nightmare. I kept thinking about what Dr. Leaves told me. That if I went with his story of my history, then perhaps the tape would make sense. The only problem was they talked as if something was wrong with me and then was corrected. In my dream or hallucination or whatever it was, I was still in the hospital. No matter which version I used, there were still pieces missing. I slumped down onto my bed. It was then that I decided to write down everything that has happened to me, and including my thoughts. I hoped that by writing everything down, I would be able to look back and review what I discovered in the future. I also hoped that it would keep me from going insane. Everything I had written up to that point was written after the first night. I made a promise to myself that I would not edit or change anything. The record would not just be for me, but for anyone else who may ever read it. If this were a dream or something else, then I would gladly accept that all of this work was for nothing, just to see my family again. After documenting everything, I can remember my arms were sore from holding the flashlight steady. As I drifted off to sleep, I whispered a silent prayer, asking if I could wake up in the world that I once knew. But if God chose to hold a grudge against me because I turned my back on him and decided to take me in my sleep, I would consider it a mercy killing. Next time, chapter 22.